Marriage is an earthly reality. It's also a sacramental reality. It reveals truths about men and God and helps grace enter in our world and our lives. Join us today as we explore the good news about this great reality with Father John Ricardo, host of Christ is the Answer on Ave Maria Radio. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University here in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, today we'll be talking about marriage and family and scripture. Um, I'm joined here in our, our studio by a regular uh, panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, who is the Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan, um, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the uh, Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan. And we're pleased to invite uh, Father John, or welcome Father John uh, Ricardo. Uh, you were ordained in 1996 uh, as a priest for the Diocese of Detroit. Uh, you've uh, studied at the uh, John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family, have your STL from there. You're an expert in, in what I'd characterize as expert in theology of the body. Uh, you have uh, Christ is the Answer uh, radio program on Ave Maria Radio, but you're most known and probably best beloved as a pastor, as a father of Our Lady of Good Counsel in Plymouth, Michigan. So, Thanks, Michael. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you. I'm the answer to the multiple choice question, like, who here doesn't belong? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I am. I'm the filler. Yeah. Well, we're so yeah. glad. Well, we, you have some connections to Franciscan in the past uh, through your family, but it is, it is really a joy to have you here on the nice program. Nice to be back. And um, we're talking about marriage and family. Mm. And when you think of marriage and family, let's start at the very beginning. Yeah. Kind of framing what, what is really God's original plan as seen in Genesis for marriage and family. Yeah, I know we're going to get to this because the, the beginning actually isn't the beginning, right? Because yeah. marriage is, as I heard you in the intro, is, uh, is a human reality, but it's pointing to a, a divine reality. So we've got to end there eventually. But yes. there's so much in the scriptures, especially in the, in the book of Genesis, where I find if you can... If you can mine this and understand what God's revealing, mm. you not only understand the views about uh, marriage, you also understand something as simple as how does a human person find happiness? Mm. Yeah. And unfortunately, what happens, I think for a lot of people, they've, they don't know how to read Genesis, and because they don't know how to read it, they discard it, or they think it's just stories. Mm -hmm. And then you're left with nowhere to look for answers about life's really important questions like, why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? How do I find happiness? Yeah. Uh, wh what all these desires in my heart? And how does marriage fit into the equation that is human life? Mm. So something as simple as the line in Genesis when God looks at man and says it's not good mm -hmm. that you're alone. Right. Well, this is a thunderbolt. Right? I mean, seven times before this, God has said it's <coughs> good about his creation. Right. Now suddenly, out of nowhere, he looks at man and says, it's not good that you're alone. Yeah. Well, why? Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, and then he comes up with this seemingly disparaging comment, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. You know? So um, you, I'll let you guys banner on the, uh, the scholastic stuff. But the word there, azer in Hebrew, I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable word. That's divine assistance. Mm. 
Yeah. At least that's how it's usually used in the Old Testament. So this is no, you know, like, go get me my slippers or, <laughs> honey, get where's the dinner or whatnot. This beer, is, this is a particular kind of help that's, yeah. that's being offered to the man. But the question should be something like, well, what does the man need help for? Right. Yeah. You know, it really strikes me, uh, the complete absence of any notion of creation. It's as if we had returned to a pre-Christian world. The Greeks don't really have uh, a conception of something coming into being uh, ex nihilo. Mm. Uh, and we seem to have retreated back into that world. Mm. I think that was the great lament of Joseph Ratzinger mm. when he wrote that book on a theology of creation. And before him, Jean Cardinal Daniel Liu had some wonderful things about the book of Genesis. It's an absolute beginning. Something mm. that wasn't there before suddenly pops mm. into into existence. As Ratzinger puts it, in the beginning was the word, and the word burst into song. And we are the song God is singing. But nobody's interested in that. Well, and there's nothing like this in any other ancient Near Eastern creation story. So, you know, like at least when I I went to a secular university, I did all sorts of comparative mythology, religion, whatever. And, you know, the, the, the myth, appropriate word here, is that Genesis is just like all the other stories of all the other creation myths. Yeah. There's nothing like this right. in any other yeah. story. There's, right. there's many gods. They're all at war with each other. They're right. violent. They're lustful. They're capricious. Yeah. They're unreliable. They make man to be a slave. Woman has no dignity whatsoever. Marriage doesn't have any point. Sexuality doesn't have any point. Nothing has any point. And out of a sudden, out of nowhere comes, in the beginning, God, one God. Right. Yeah. Created. Yeah. yeah, this is important because I think it's such a commonplace for people to assume that this is just one example of many That's right. creation myths. And as you point out, I mean, you look at those others and you compare. And there might be one or two superficial similarities, but I mean, it's it's a warring against the gods. You know, right. creation comes from the carcass of some slain deity. Right. You know, and this right. theomachy motif is almost, you know, universal in all of the other versions, and yet. In the calm tranquility of divine power, let there be light. Right. And everything else. Yeah. And it's, you know, you step back and realize this is purposeful, but this is more than power. It's all about love. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what the climax is. You know, what is last in execution is first in intention. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you leave man in his image, if, if you like leave it. Genesis out of account, everything collapses. It just implodes. There's no scripture. There's no being. There's no. Right. There's no world. I mean, that's the great truth on which all of sacred scripture begins and depends upon. In the beginning. God spoke. He knocked himself out for about five days, creating a world, and then he somehow improved uh, upon his design. I've been uh, leading a series, uh, it's actually in the context of the liturgy on Sundays, but it's all on Genesis, basically. And, And my contention would be, if you get Genesis right, if you get the first three chapters of Genesis right, you get the whole story right. right. If you get the first three chapters of Genesis wrong, you get everything wrong. Yeah, that's right. Because somehow everything's there. It, at least it's in a so foundational. It's the why. Everything's why there, right? there, right? And so that goes and back the who. to who. Yeah, and, yeah. exactly. and, and as you mentioned, it, this is all about love, right? So man is not made to be a slave of the gods. Man is made for friendship. And man is made in the image and likeness of God, which goes back to the why is it not yes. good that, God, that man's alone. Right. Well, who's God? I mean, we, we can talk about this right, lots of different yeah. ways, but God's three. Right. Right? He's three persons who live in this divine relationship of love. Balthazar used to call it a reckless exchange of love. Yeah, yeah. Not careless, reckless, holding right, nothing right. back. Lavishing. So, so if I'm made in the image and likeness of God who is love, who is relationship, 
then I must be made for relationship. Why is it not good that man's alone? Because I need to be loved and to love, That's which right. means I need another who's like me, but not like me. So all of a sudden, here comes this woman. Adam looks at her and says, whoa, this one at last. You know, like right. God brought me the hippo and the panda and the giraffe and whatever, but there was not a suitable helper. All of a sudden, woman's there. You are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And in naming her, she shall be called woman. For out of her man, she has been taken. He names himself. So in other words, he doesn't even know his own identity. Right. Until he sees her. Yeah. I think that's profound. That, 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 we, that we have a relationship that didn't really exist until it was together. An identity, I should say, that didn't exist until there was a completeness, a, a, a coupling uh, right. of that. So, so what does that speak about with men and women? I mean, because this is the foundation. I mean, was that marriage right there from the Genesis? And is this speak? Yeah. But, so I think something simple, you know, as basic as so... Um, I am made to be, to be loved and to love, and it's in that order. Mm-hmm. I'm made to be loved and to love. So what's, what's going to bring me happiness? Toys? Money? No. Letters? Success? Accomplishments? Nothing wrong with any of those things, but they don't satisfy the human heart. What satisfies the human heart is entering into relationship, in the case of marriage, which is the fundamental relationship, a, a relationship which is total, exclusive um, and generative mm. right and and tragically you know you read Genesis and uh, I think Lewis talks about it this way John Paul certainly talked about it this way you get to this kind of limit experience you know because there was a time when they were naked and they knew no shame right yeah. and and you can only at least in my case I can only stop and look at that and go Oh, wow, what would that have been like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No use, yeah. no suspicion, yeah. no objectification, yeah. no fear. They just knew, I'm made to give myself to you, and you're made to give yourself to me, yeah. and we're going to be happy. You know, theologians describe it as the state of original justice, but it's so much more. Yeah. It's the state of original love, mm. communion. That's right. You know, there is an innocence, but it goes beyond that because... Mm. You know, I, I like to think about how it is that, you know, it is not good for man to be alone. So he brings the animals for him to name. And then a suitable helper was not found. Well, what did you expect? You know, right. dog is not man's <laughs> best friend, right. you know. exactly. But the fact is, in the previous chapter, you have man being created on the sixth day along with all of the other beasts. And so there is a kinship with the animals. And yet, as Jesus says, the, you know, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So when God blesses the seventh day and consecrates the seventh day, you know, he's really showing man that there's something more than labor. There's something more than a kind of bestial existence, our world's testimony notwithstanding. Mm. You know, and that is exactly what she represents. This covenant is not just with the cosmos, with the day and the night, as Jeremiah puts it. It really is a covenant between a male and a, and a female, I mean, a, a husband and wife. And when you zero in on that, I think, you really see why Genesis is the foundation for all the other 72 yeah. books, you know? Mm-hmm. Without Genesis, that, you've got a trailer park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll blow away. That's right. We have to recover that sense, I, I think, of wonderment in the face of a gift that none of us could give, mm-hmm. but, but are at liberty to receive and, and to rejoice uh, uh, over. 
Uh, it's the foundational truth on which everything else depends, that we live in a created world. Mm. Uh, it's not manufactured. It's not the result of contending uh, uh, parties among the gods, some sort of Star Wars. Mm. God speaks. And there is a kind of effortlessness about it. He doesn't have to work up a lot of oh, yeah. creative sweat. He simply speaks. Right. He pronounces a word, and then he takes pleasure in what he has spoken. He, this alphabet of being, and he's not one of the letters. He stands transcendent, but he's terribly interested yeah. in, in those letters. Yeah. He's telling a story. Yeah. And, and when you think of Genesis, you think of, of God walking in the garden, you think of this intimacy. I mean, you have not only the relationship of man and woman, but you have this profound description of God's relationship with man. Yeah. I mean, explore, I don't know, John Paul II or others, just, just the idea that not only is it for man's own happiness, but what does that mean in relationship to our Creator? Like, what, what unique role does Genesis show as part of God's plan uh, for our relationship? While we're talking about it, I think the, the, the beauty and what I'm seeing over and over again is people's eyes just kind of pop open to what is revealed in Genesis and how to read this and how to understand it is an awareness of, uh, so I don't need to be anxious. Mm. I don't need to be afraid. Mm. I don't need to grab for all I can. Uh, I'm not on my own. If I'm here, I'm here because somebody has willed me into being. Why, why did he will me into being? Because he loves me. Yeah. So he's, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm headed somewhere. And everything along the way has meaning. Yeah. That's a totally different way of living life yeah. than the way most people in the world live lives. If life has no meaning, and life for countless people ultimately has no meaning, That's right. well then, I mean, when things are bad, what do you got? You got despair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Genesis is just laden with, no, you matter. You matter so much. I mean, here's why you exist. Because the creator of every, you know, this universe that's, what, 46 billion light years across and ever expanding, he knows you. Yeah. yeah. He, he knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your name. He knows how to communicate with you. He knows what's on your mm -hmm. mind. When you woke up this morning, he knew what you were thinking about. He cares. You're in his hands. And then as we're going to go all throughout the scriptures and see what marriage is pointing to, who marriage is pointing to, that truth becomes even more fantastic because the one to whom you matter, who made the universe for you, is going to walk onto the stage, wed us to himself, mm. and lay down his life. That's either nonsense, in which case this is just a waste of our time, or that's going to profoundly change everything yeah. for you when you come to know that that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the implications, uh, they are inclusive of, of everything. Nothing is untouched, yeah. undisturbed by yeah. that fact. Yeah. But that original plan was interrupted by us. And yeah. I want to talk about that in the next yeah. segment. Stay yeah. with us. You mean sin. <laughs> That's right. That's right. A little, little, little teaser for the next segment. <laughs> Stay with us for Franciscan University Presents. The Catholic Church's understanding of sacramental marriage actually developed over the first 15 centuries. It didn't just pop out of nowhere. Uh, and as a result of this deep development, we have a natural foundation and a supernatural foundation 
that was rooted in Scripture in the Ephesians passage where human marriage was seen as an analogy to divine marriage and a participation in it, where Christ is to the church as the husband is to the wife. That's the origin of it being a sacrament. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about marriage and family. We set up the original plan, God's plan from the beginning for mm. marriage uh, and family. But then Adam and Eve sin. They, they have a fall. And uh, what impact does that have on marriage? I mean, the fall has a profound impact on, on all of creation and on uh, our history as humans, but particularly thinking about marriage. What does that do? Yeah, there was a time when it all went wrong. <laughs> I always think of that song. That's right. <laughs> it up when I think yes. of the fall. So it's not a fall, right? I mean, we, we can talk about it. It's a rebellion. Yeah. You know, fall sounds like they, they didn't, Passive. you know, they just kind of like tripped and stumbled, right? Mm -hmm. this, this is not a fall. This is a rebellion. And it's a rebellion that's provoked by somebody who hates marriage. He hates mm. us, right? But mm. he hates marriage. And I, it, it's worth doing something with this, I think, just because um, it's important to understand the enemy. Yeah. The beauty of Genesis, like I often think of Genesis through the lens of sports, it's like game film. Hmm. You know, hmm. so you, uh, you, you watch game film on the person you're playing, the team you're playing, so that you can learn what they do, so just to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and God gives us game film on the enemy, and he has a strategy. And I think one of the things that I always am struck by with Genesis, Genesis doesn't reveal what happened, or what, it doesn't only reveal what happened. Yeah. It reveals what always happens. Hmm. Meaning that this is, this is how the enemy works. Mm -hmm. He sows doubts. God's not good. Mm -hmm. yeah. He doesn't care. He's holding out on you. He knows that if you would rebel, you would be happy. He, he, he's keeping something for himself. And that's, that is the temptation. That's the heart of every temptation, right? I mean, he's, he's constantly getting us to doubt that God is a good father that's right. who brought me into being out of love and to cast him in suspicion. Yeah, I think we underestimate the malevolence of his role, of his own you know, figure, his own identity. Because before the fall, or whatever else you want to call it, there had already been a fall. Right. You know, there had already been a rebellion. And it was much more catastrophic. It wasn't just planetary. It was cosmic. Yeah. And these creatures became unredeemable because of the power and the intelligence they possessed. And then really uh, disabused themselves or were really defiled. And so it isn't just like a trickster, you know, right. trying to say something sly. He's a liar and a murderer. Right. And he's lying about the truth of love in order to murder them, not to take their physical life, but to take them, to, to take out their spiritual life, yeah. to get them to commit a mortal sin. Yeah. You know, when God says the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. They ate and they died. Not a physical death. They snuffed out the life of God within their soul, which was a deeper and darker death. 
And it's so significant that he's targeting the marriage because, you know, in Genesis 1 and 2, we can already contrast, you know, the beasts that God, you know, that God made along with Adam, but then the beauty of the bride. And then you have the beauty and then the beast again coming in. Mm. And you look at this and you realize that he's targeting love, not just their marital love, but mm. God's love, mm-hmm. you know. Words fail to express the magnanimity, you know, the beneficence. God's goodness is just, un, you know, it's unbounded. And yet now suddenly he's a competitor. Yeah. You know, he's, he's threatened if you become like him. Mm. You know, the insinuated lies that he tells are really to get them to rebel against love mm. and to snuff out this mm. divine life. Mm. You know, in Ephesians 5, I know we're going to get to mm. that later, but... Mm. Ephesians 5 is the template of teaching on marriage. It's so significant to me that in Ephesians 6, you know, nowhere do you find Paul talking more about marriage than Ephesians 5. Nowhere do you find Paul talking more about spiritual warfare mm-hmm. right. than Ephesians 6. Right. It's, you know, it's not flesh and blood, it's principalities yeah. and powers. Right. Yeah. And why? Because that's what Satan is always targeting, it's marriage, it's love. Yeah, there, there are a couple of mistakes that we don't want to make about uh, the old guy, uh, the devil. Uh, One is to fixate uh, on Mm. him and Mm -hmm. to think that he's really more powerful than he is. He's a creature. Mm -hmm. Uh, And otherwise, we slip into a kind of Manichaeanist uh, melodrama, God and the devil Mm -hmm. slugging it out. Mm -hmm. They're equally powerful. That's not true. Mm -hmm. The devil represents nothing. He's got nothing to commend. But his cleverest ruse, uh, as Baudelaire reminds us, is to persuade people he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then you make the other mistake. You don't take him seriously. He is the adversary. He's bent on our destruction, our ruin. And I think what motivates him, uh, as the scriptures uh, reveal, is envy. He's consumed with envy. It's not that he's jealous that he wants what we have. He doesn't want it, but he doesn't want us to have what he doesn't want. And he's envious of us. Yeah. See, that's the thing that people don't get. Yes, yes. He knows he's not God. I'm a, he, he's he's the most cunning of all the creatures that God had made. So there's no question he's a creature. But when people realize it's through the envy of the devil that death entered the world, and they go, okay, well, who's the devil envious of? He's envious of God. No. That's right. You. What do you mean, me? Because somehow he sees how the angelic, the angels have this plan revealed to them somehow, right? At least that's the speculation. Plan of salvation. And he's so incensed that a puny little physical creature like you and me is going to be brought into the level of a relationship with God that we're going to be brought into. That he says no. Yeah. And then his attack isn't against God. He can't touch God. So what's he do? He goes after God's favorite creature, you yeah. and me. And at the heart of it is marriage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we need to take a brief tangent because envy in our culture is synonymous with jealousy. Mm. And they're very different. You know, jealousy can be good, it's usually bad. Envy is only and always evil. It's one of the seven capital sins. You know, jealousy, I'm the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Jealousy wants something. If it's yours, it's nothing wrong with being jealous. Envy wants to deprive another person. It rejoices at the misfortune of another. Right. You know, envy is resentment. It resents. And that's Wisdom 2.24. It's the envy of the devil that causes this spiritual right. death and then the physical one that follows too. And I, I think it's important what Regis was saying that on the one hand, the devil is no match for the Almighty. Right. On the other hand, we're no match for the devil. That's right. On our own. Well, we weren't on our own, and yet we acted as though we were yeah. because that's what he was trying to get us to do. You know, and, I, and I think that strategy 
you know, you'll be like God. Well, I think we for, forget that nobody wanted Adam and Eve to be more like God than and God. God. Yeah. yeah. Like, or else he wouldn't have made them in his image and likeness. Right. But to become like God without God, that was the Satan's folly. And that is ours as well, not only then, but now and will be. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, this can seem really, you know, to some people perhaps it, it's just, you know, waxing theological or scriptural. This is so relevant for a yeah. daily life. Yeah. Why? Because, because a couple sitting here right now is supposed to be asking the Lord, Lord, show me how the evil one is coming after us. Yes. Yeah. Because the devil's strategy is not, like you said, he's not the trickster, he's not trying to get us to share in his kind of like Friday night rebellion. No, 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 he's trying to ruin and destroy your life. Yeah, yeah. And the way he's going to do that in a married couple is a, he, 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 you know, like Ignatius would always say, you know, we're kind of like this tower, and the, the enemy just roams around the tower looking for a weak spot. Yeah. And once he finds it, he launches lie. into it. Well, right. so a married couple's got to be sitting there going, okay, Lord, show us what's going on right now. Right. We're short with each other, we're impatient, we're having difficulties. We know we don't want to do this. We know this is not of you. Right. So where is, where is the demonic attack here? You know, you're not my enemy. Yeah. He's our enemy. Right. And we trust in you, Lord. Right. So, so help us just to step back and to see where he's coming. Because we know exactly yeah. because we know his desire yeah. is to kill. Right. So that, that's where this becomes very relevant for yeah. daily married life. Yeah. See the game film, understand the strategy, there is a and then go to prayer together mm. and say, Lord, we're going at each other when together we should be going at we should be going towards you and trying to discern what it is that is coming against us, right? Right, right, right. right, right. And you have, in some ways, you have the devil uh, taking their eyes off of the Father to each other and realizing their flaws, realizing, and that's what happens in our marriage. When we aren't standing shoulder to shoulder, we end up either getting consumed by the devil's attack on us and the weaknesses there, or we look at each other and see all the faults. Because his game is to divide. you gave me. Right, Right. it's all her. And the evil one's just in the back laughing, right? Right. He's just laughing because his game is to divide. Yeah. He says, you eat this, your eyes will be opened. Yeah. Well, it's, their eyes are open. Right. It's a right. pretty hollow laugh because it gives him no pleasure. Right. But he is determined on the total subversion of the whole order of, of being, a created being. Uh, and I think the, lo- the, the loss of the sense of being a creature, this creaturely status, which means I'm not God, but I'm given uh, to myself by God, right. and I find myself with others. He wants to shatter that, yeah. disabuse us of that. And if he succeeds in that game plan, I, I think marriage is is the first real casualty. Yeah. I, I want to make a slight tweak on that because the creator-creature relationship left to itself would be a kind of master-slave, mm-hmm. you know, and that would entail the devil, who's the lord of this world, and his mm-hmm. servants, us. But the mystery that he really wants to subvert and pervert is the mystery of the Trinity. Yeah. where the greatest shall be the servant of mm. all. And you know that's what he will not tolerate. And so John Paul points out in Crossing the Threshold of Hope that original sin doesn't obliterate the existence of God. It obliterates this mystery of fatherhood and love. Mm. So that instead of parent-child or husband-wife, it's master-slave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what the devil wants. The devils possess us because they see us as so much less than they were. 
And so, you know, and, and I would say that sort of thing is precisely what also creeps into marriage. Yeah. You can already see it at the end of Genesis 3 and 4, you know, where they're, they're competing with each other, just as they thought God was competing with us. You know, and all of a sudden they forget it. we're on the same team. Right. Yeah. We depend upon each other. This complementarity was not just primordial, it's continuous, you right. know. We have to really take each other's side and see this friendship as the as the source of yeah. success. Mm. Yeah. So so back to your question. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 hap what happens as a result of the fall? Yeah. Well, you all of this that we're talking about, so you go from bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, naked and without shame, to the first thing they see. We're naked. Yeah. The first effect of sin yeah. is the destruction of the relationship between men and women. Mm. Mm. All of a sudden you go from um, an awareness that I'm made to give myself to you and you're made to give yourself to me to a sense of, like, I ain't never seen you look at me like that. Yeah. That's, that's a gaze I've never seen before. A use. Yeah, you, I was just objectified. And, and all of a sudden, what do you get as a result of this? You get the whole history of the relationship between the sexes that we've had. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, mostly men dominating, mostly. And, and women, the way Father yeah. Francis Martin used to put it, conniving and being dominated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like either one's innocent here, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, just, we just habituate ourselves to using each other and to letting ourselves get used for something else, and so this relationship, which was once so satisfying, because it was all love in a mirror of the Trinity, becomes so diminished, hmm. and then we just settle. And I guess this yeah. is as good as it gets. That master-slave, that competition, that domination, manipulation, yeah. you know, yeah. this really is the sort of DNA now that is transmitted. We call it original sin. And again, it's like original justice. It's a good label, but it's not really what we need. We That's need right. to go beyond that and recognize that original sin is something that is so deeply divided. And it's not just dividing married couples, it's splitting the person. Right. So, you know, right. We really lose our sense of true identity yeah. as a child of God. Well, and that's at the heart of it because we were created in, in the image and likeness of God. We were that's created right. for love. We were created yeah. to give ourselves away. And now here we have the, the person that we're most profoundly, most intimately right. engaged yeah. in giving ourselves. Now we have a rupture there. We have a rupture between God and man and man and woman. Right. I, I keep coming back to that <clears throat> line from Fulton Sheen, you must know it, God was in love, <laughs> but he couldn't keep the secret. The telling of it was creation. And, and creation is inscribed with the very design of the Trinitarian God. So we hunger for, we require completion in and with and for the other. Mm. Man does not live alone. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, so we've painted the picture. This sounds really sobering, but there's great news coming. <laughs> this yeah. is pretty, that's where we're going. It's pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. So we, that's our next segment. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, stay with us as we look into the sacramentality and the good news of marriage in the next segment of Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. That understanding of the Catholic sacramental marriage uh, uh, which is under attack now, was actually under attack 500 years ago uh, when Martin Luther desacramentalized marriage. He said it's just a natural institution. Uh, John Calvin, after that, uh, thought that Luther had gone too far and he wanted to call it uh, a kind of a covenant, which was for him between just merely a natural uh, connection and uh, the Catholic sacramental connection. 
Uh, it was that kind of erosion of the sacramental uh, nature of marriage that made it end up being purely a civil institution which the law of the land could define. And one result of that was it has redefined it in terms of allowing homosexual marriage. So that's where it has come from. Uh, actually, it's a 500-year undermining of the Catholic sacramental understanding of marriage. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that. Because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. We're recording this right now in the communication arts studio here on Franciscan University's campus. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment. Our theology professors are our regular panelists here. And uh, Father, it has been a joy to walk through the original plan, but then we got into some darkness uh, because of more than just a little stumble uh, because of the rebellion. Um, and we left it with a very dark picture of, of the attacks on marriage, the, the, the devil's original plan uh, and God's original plan, right? Mm. There were two very different uh, plans for marriage. But what is the good news about marriage? Because we need some right now. The good news is great news. Mm -hmm. the, the, the good news of marriage is that God's original plan can still be lived. Mm. Hmm. That's, that's the good news. I mean, so, yes, we have this constant temptation to objectify. You know, we live with the, 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 the result of the original sin of concupiscence, this inclination to be selfish, right? Yeah. So that's always there in my life. Yeah. But the good news is, by grace, uh, by power, not some fluffy little thing, by God's power at work in my life, I can overcome that. And I can, once again, live the way God has created me to live. That's good. That's extraordinary news, right? I mean, <laughs> so I'm we can doomed. return to the garden's uh, original plan on some level. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think, you know, uh, again, I don't remember if it's uh, John Paul who puts it this way or if it's somebody commenting on John Paul, but we're, we're kind of looking at the garden from outside, showing, okay, that's, that's gone in the sense of how they lived it. Right. But... I can get back there somehow. That's, that's, that's Jesus's or John Paul's whole point in Jesus answering the question about divorce by mm. saying, back in the beginning, it was not so. For in the sure. beginning, he made them male and female. And, and John Paul would say over and over again, Jesus, or Jesus is trying to teach us there mm. that that's not over. <clears throat> yeah. We can it look at that back. again. And it's and more learn. than just restoring the law the way it was oh, in the beginning, yeah. which was monogamous and exclusive and fruitful, all of which is true. But I mean, really, you know, the, the holy family is the beginning of the great news. Mm. And it's a marriage. So that before the incarnation takes place, mutual consent has been exchanged. In fact, the holy family is the only family that was holy in all of salvation history. Right, right. And it still is in a sense. You know, we might look at Joseph and Mary and say, well, that's a, a valid marriage, but that's not something I can emulate really practically. But that's the whole point of why Jesus raised it to a sacrament, to enable us to do something that we can't do on our own. And it's also why he was born into this marriage. 
And it's not just a foster father in some legalistic way. There really is virginal fatherhood as well as virginal mm-hmm. motherhood mm-hmm. and a marriage that is not less marital than Kimberly and me, but more so, more love, more life, and, and more fruitfulness too. But it's significant that you know Mary gets him to perform his first sign at a marriage, mm-hmm. at a wedding. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the stage setting. Mm-hmm. It really is such a providential coup to bring forth the public ministry in the first sign, turning water into wine, mm-hmm. and then taking the darkness to light. The sadness is joy again. Mm-hmm. It's the best wine. And you know, we're off and running. And I, and I think that's really what sets the stage for the profound teaching of Paul in Ephesians. It's, yes. it's not just Jesus telling the Pharisees off in Matthew 19. It's Jesus and Mary creating a whole new covenant on display at a wedding right. and bringing that joy. And then all of a sudden, everything starts going right. Yeah. I mean, Christ is uncompromisingly on the side of life. Uh, And his name is life, I am who am. And he certainly committed to love. He came to diffuse it, to incarnate love, particularly uh, in the pierced uh, side as it it hung lifeless upon the cross. And he certainly uh, in favor of sex. Uh, By giving us marriage, he sanctifies sex, he baptizes it. But all the while, there's this damn worm in the apple, as, as Belloc reminds us. But the Catholic insists that it need not poison right. the blooming fruit. I mean, that's where we break, I, I think, decisively with that Protestant pessimism that I'm just damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm utterly depraved. Uh, that's not true. I mean, concupiscence is the tendency to sin, but we don't identify it with sin. You can overcome it. Right. Uh, this interior renovation of grace right. begun by baptism begun by baptism, can deepen and clarify the whole human condition and supernaturalize it. That's a source of hope. So can we get real practical again? Yeah. So here, so this is what, that's why I love this is why, show. <laughs> so a couple comes in and they're engaged. And we're going to sit there and all of a sudden we're going to start asking questions which seem like they're just, you know, from a catechism from years ago, which if they get right and they can begin to understand, all of a sudden they can build the foundation of the relationship on real solid ground. So, you know, you and Kimberly come in, so great, you wanna get married, beautiful, yeah. Um, what's a sacrament? Uh, oh, she needs to know what a sacrament <laughs> was, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's seven of them, I think. Yeah, great, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, visible sign, okay, got that, yeah. Invisible reality, all right, not bad. Um, instituted by Jesus, okay. Yeah. Gives grace, nice, okay, beautiful. Um, what's the visible sign in marriage? Uh, the ring? <laughs> no. The reception. <laughs> yeah, the reception. The, the bill. Right? The bill for the reception. Um, no, it's your life together. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, like the way you treat each other, the love you have, the patience, the mercy, the forgiveness. Oh, okay, yeah. What's it pointing to? What's the invisible reality? Uh, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, like what about Jesus? Jesus on the cross? Yeah, okay, great. So, so your life... Your life to get, you're, you're supposed to point to Jesus. How are you going to do that? Oh, we're going to need some help. Yeah, right. What, what do we call that? We call that grace. What's grace? Grace is power. So years ago, I remember praying one day and I just said, Lord, I need an image for grace. I don't know how to explain grace yeah. to people. And as I'm praying, this is time of uh, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and the steroid scandal in baseball. And I hear the Lord just say, so grace is like spiritual steroids, John. <laughs> and I went, what? And he goes, no, it's like spiritual steroids, right? So steroids are illegal because they give you an unfair advantage in competing, but God wants you to win. 
Yeah. Like, I want you to be great. Yeah. I want everybody to be great. Yeah. And so God gives us power, his power, so that we can live the way he intended the man and the woman to live at the beginning, right? right? Yes. And where do you get that? You get that in the nuptial blessing. And so as a priest, anyway, I'm just floored by for how many years I missed this and how powerful it is to me now when I extend my hands over a man and a woman at a wedding. And I, I just say to them, this is, this is as analogous as I can understand anything I do to what I do when I celebrate the Eucharist. We, we call it a blessing, right? But the church documents refer to it as a consecration. This is not a mere blessing. Something mm. really profound yeah. is happening to yeah. a husband and a wife. Like, I'm getting plugged into the power grid right now. That's right. Where God's, God's own divine life is made accessible to me yeah. so that I can show him forth to my spouse. Yeah. Yeah. So I was sharing with you the other day, you know, so my mom and dad uh, were married 66 years. My dad just passed away. And um, my dad is and was a great man, um, like the greatest man I've ever known and the greatest husband I've ever seen. And my mom, kneeling at his casket, can look at him and say to him, yeah. because of you, I know God better. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because of your compassion, your faithfulness, your mercy, your love, because of you, I know who God is. Yeah. And that's the task of a married couple, right? We, we often think of the sign value of the couple to their children. By all means, really important to others, very important. But the first person that a husband is supposed to be a witness to is his wife. And the first person that a woman is supposed to be a witness to is her husband. Yeah. Like, I'm entrusted with the task as a married person to show forth God to the other spouse. Yeah. What a holy calling. You know, and yeah. what a good That's reminder, a too, because oh, yeah. it's not the doctrine of the Eucharist that is the sacrament. It's the consecrated host. Right. Yeah. And there's a sense in which the spouse is a consecrated host. Yeah. And, and to symbolize, but not just to signify in some sort of symbolic way, but to actualize real in, grace. Yeah. Real. In, in, in the way we speak to each other, the way we apologize, the way we work together you right. know, and pray for each other. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a, a sober reminder, and at the same time, it's that kind of lofty call that it's the only thing that makes all of the struggles worth it. You yeah. Know? yeah. So th that's really quite moving, uh, Father, that, that little vignette you uh, shared with us, that the wife needs to see the face of Jesus uh, on the countenance of her husband, and if she doesn't, uh, then uh, something has been profaned. Right. And that is Ephesians 5. That's the whole point of Ephesians 5, right? Or at least that's a huge part of it. Paul's whole exhortation, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved. How did Christ love? Handed himself over. What does that mean? He went to the cross. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the initiative of the man, huh, the, the task that falls to him is to make present the self-sacrifice of the Lord to his beloved. Yes. Well, how do you not respond to that by surrendering? Right. Right? I mean, there, there's no dom domination and being dominated here because there's no like, domination in the church. Well, it's the opposite. It's the gift and service. Of yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, John Paul, I think, asked the question one time, so how does the church submit to Christ? And he says, she lets him love her. Mm -hmm. And when a woman, 
when a woman sees another woman who's got a husband who's taken the initiative and laying down his life for her, she's jealous. That's right, that good right, sense yeah, of right. that woman. Like, I want a guy like that. Right. That's right. You know, when a, when a man understands real manhood and real headship, and he's taking the initiative and pouring himself out That's for right, his yeah. wife, and then they engage in this, you know, we're all competitive, and we always right, stay right. competitive, but now it's all turned to the good. I'm going to outdo you right. in being right. kind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think of... That's it. Yeah, who can deepen That's the, marriage. the kenosis. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> think that was good? Wait till you see right. what I'm going to do for you. Right. That's you know, right. And I think of the only chapter in Scripture written by a woman, Proverbs 31, <laughs> you know, by the queen mother of King Lemuel, <laughs> and how finding a godly wife, more precious than jewels, but the whole point is to love her, yeah. because then you liberate her, and then the rest of the chapter is like, wow, yeah. look at all that she does because yeah. of love. Yeah. You know, it's not just a passive sort of response like, oh, I'll let him love me. It's I'm going to let God liberate me through his love. Yeah. Mm. Well, we've come a long way from this paradigm, this yeah. ideal that we've been spinning out. I mean, nowadays you've got the prenuptial agreement yeah. because yeah. Both, both, both members, partners, uh, assume uh, it's going to implode at some point. Right. So right. We, we need to be landing on our feet. They negotiate the arrangement. You know, which days do you get to tyrannize over me? And then when is it <laughs> right. my turn? But really, the church speaks of mutual submission in yep. Christ. That's right. Yeah. How can we outdo the other in being sacrificial? And this is the divine life. Yeah. That's the kicker, right? Us, this yeah. is, you know, like the Father's pouring everything into the Son. The Son's pouring everything back. Their love is so real, it spirates another spirit, person. Yeah. This is God's life. Meanwhile, we're grasping for things. And we're wondering why we're not happy. Yeah. Well, look at the Lord and ask the Lord for His grace to live and to love like mm. Him, and mm. we might just find something new. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> profound. It's so tragic, yeah. but that's, that's the demonic strategy. Yeah. And so to see the strategy, to know it, and then to see the remedy, yeah. and to reach out for grace, and to know this is, th this is the encouraging thing to me about the gospel, and the important thing about all this. This is not a question of rolling up your sleeves and trying harder. That's it. Yeah. You're doomed that way. That's right. If I'm left to my own devices, I can't, you know, it's I, one more conference with a bunch of priests saying, come on, guys, you can do this. You can be a great priest. It's not going to help me. Right. I need to know I got access to power. Yeah. That's right. And where do I find that? And then get plugged into it. Yeah. And so for a married couple, it's not exhortation yeah. Yeah. or it's not mere exhortation. It's grace. Right. And yeah. grace is a real thing. Yeah. And when people get that, lives are changed. Especially with marriage. You know, when Paul says this mystery is a profound one, Jerome translates this, this sacramentum as <laughs> magnum, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and so it is biblical, but it also is supernatural strength to do what we can't do. It's not just restoring the natural law. This supernatural mystery of grace has a name. The Holy Spirit is what we have to open ourselves up to and admit that without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And with Him? Everything. Yeah, everything. All things are possible. Yeah. Everything. So we have a, an original plan, a fall, that, uh, that, that an enemy who wants to undermine marriage and family, and yet we have the power to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil Amen. to fulfill God's plan. Yeah. Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents.
I'm in the 4 plus 1 program here for counseling. It is very academically challenging, but the classes are a lot of fun. The teachers do love what they teach and they know their fields very well. If you're interested in mission, that's a big thing here. I did San Diego for two years. That was a youth ministry mission. There are a lot of opportunities here to be actively pro-life, praying outside the abortion clinic. There's a big group that goes to the March of Life here from campus. There's just so much you can do as far as faith goes. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents, our final segment as we've been talking about marriage, family, and the scriptures. Uh, Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, uh, just a, a quick uh, composition of place. Uh, uh, Ignatius uh, speaks of that as a, as a technique in the spiritual life. And the place I'd like to compose uh, is the beach. Uh, where Jesus suddenly appears, and you've got these uh, disciples, these fishermen, who are at loose ends. They don't know what the hell they're doing, but they see this guy, and they're drawn to him. And he doesn't give them a memo. He doesn't give them a book or a tape. Uh, I mean, later that comes when, when Scott arrives. But right now, they're looking for life. They're looking for salvation. Uh, what do you want? Uh, and they follow him. It's a way of life. And it does strike me that marriage is the way of life whereby we mediate uh, this encounter with Christ. I mean, the wife sees Jesus uh, in her husband, and certainly the husband ought to see the church in her, and he's got to be prepared to empty out everything on her behalf, mm -hmm. which means she has an easier time of it. She's the recipient. I mean, if in nature everything is feminine already in relation to God, then she has an edge. She's closer to the mystery because she's reminded every month of this immense capacity to co-create. The husband is sort of on the outside looking in, which is why he needs grace uh, with, with a greater urgency of desperation than she does. I think she's naturally virtuous, but for him, it's a struggle. And that's why marriage as a sacrament is absolutely indispensable if men are to be even mediocre, even averagely good, to try and recover something of that beauty. Three of us here are married. You're not, but you're giving us a blueprint, uh, and, and you, you, you provide it uh, in such a winsome way that it makes the sacrament all the more attractive. Mm -hmm. And it provides an inducement, I think, for men who are already married to try harder, to do mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. And when they fall, as they not infrequently do, they can get up again because of grace, the therapy of grace. So, Father, thanks so much, and keep doing it. Yeah, thanks. Scott? You know, this teaching is needed now more than ever, and not just by people who are cohabiting or considering that, you know, but by people like me. We're getting ready to celebrate our 38th anniversary this year, and as I reflect back on the last 40 years of knowing and loving my bride, you know, I have failed more times than I have succeeded. It's been harder. I mean, you think you're going to get married, you're going to have kids, so you have to work hard. But what you don't really understand is how much harder you have to work for 
marriage to work. Yeah. You know, and I've experienced a level of friendship I didn't even know was possible mm. before. Mm. I'd never seen it, and I've seen other couples who have certainly outshone us, but uh, we have more fun, and there's deeper fulfillment, and yet I look back and all of my failures and frustrations, her, you know, I, I know nobody has hurt her as much as I have. You know, I'd like to think that God has used me anyway, sometimes as the chisel sculpting a saint. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think that this is good news, but it's not unattainable. It really is something that is, well, it's the only thing that is going to satisfy our longings. And I remember years ago going to adoration in the evening, and it just happened to coincide with when Kimberly was putting the kids down and needed my help. And well, I, I'll help, but I, I'm going to make a quick exit to go adore the Blessed Sacrament, you know. And my spiritual director nailed me, you know, like, she's your Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. at that hour of the evening. Adore her mm-hmm. and let the kids see you loving on her. You know, I'm like, okay, point well taken, you know. <laughs> And it's a lesson I've had to learn hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of times. But it's one of those things where I'd rather relearn that lesson than watch TV, you know, and, you know, date night, uh, saying you're sorry, uh, what can I do for you? I mean, these are like the lines of the domestic liturgy that remind us that the, the family is a domestic church. Don't complain about your parish. You know, look at your own ecclesial order, your own state of life, and improve your parish, which is your, 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 your family. And I... I think these are the practical steps that your teaching is meant to really lead people to. And mm. what joy. I mean, frustration, sure. Fulfillment, even more than you'd expect, you know. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Father? I think this is at the front line of the new evangelization. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the witness of a married couple um, to each other, to their children, to everybody who sees them is at the heart of how we share the gospel, right? Because mm. it's normal, everyday life, which is so different from the way that the world lives, and therefore it's attractive. So I'm thinking of, there's a church in the Archdiocese of Detroit, it's in a very bad neighborhood, hard to believe. And, um, but the church is stunning, and so people come often to get married there. So I do a set of weddings there, and I often just sit in the sanctuary, and I, I wanna get there really early, and I wanna watch people walk into the church. Because the church is, re- it looks like it comes out of Europe, mm-hmm. but the area is a pit. And so people, inevitably, they walk in the door, and this is what their faces look like as soon as they walk in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And they start pointing around to everything. And as a result of the beauty of the church, mm. like couples are just lining up to knock on the door to get married there. Well, that's what should be happening in Christian marriages. Yeah. Yeah. People should be knocking on the door of homes where Christian husbands and wives live. Because what's, what's inside their relationship is far more beautiful than some you know, static decoration in a church, as beautiful as that is. It's a life well lived with the Lord at the center and a desire and a decision to outdo each other in showing love and affection and honor mm-hmm. and of just living joyfully and freely, effortlessly, the way you described how God creates. So a couple that enters into this relationship that just has a trust that God's with us, I can't, but you can, Lord, so please do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's just a, a, a remarkable beauty to that life, so much so that um, I'm, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who uh, he lives uh, right across the street from the church, and 
he and his wife have a great marriage and they're clearly Catholic and his neighbor never goes to church. And finally, after like 10 years, his neighbor walked across the fence line and looked at him as they were mowing the lawn and says, how are you doing this? And that guy had been waiting 10 years for that guy to ask that question. Wow. He was just evangelizing by the way he loved his wife, by the fact that he never raised his voice. You know, that he was playing with his kids in the front yard. Perfect? No. But they were intentional about living in such a way, saying, Lord, use us. You know, Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it on a, you know, underneath a basket. They put it on a stand. Well, the Lord wants to take a married couple and like, put them on the stand that is the house that is the world. Amen. So that they would shine. So ask the Lord, Lord, use us today. Let us shine your light wherever we're going. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've enjoyed today's uh, program, uh, we have some information for you online. Uh, an excerpt from uh, St. John Paul II's Familiaris Consortio. You can get this um, at faithandreason.com or just by asking us. You can download it there. Um, it, we got to go deeper. Uh, mm -hmm. into what marriage and family is really all about. Um, Our Lady of Fatima celebrating the 100th anniversary of the apparitions there. Uh, the messages talk about the final battle being over marriage and family. Uh, we need to go deeper, realizing that God has a plan, but so does Satan, and the enemy doesn't want us to flourish. But we need to double down. We need to give uh, ourselves to our spouses and to this world. Uh, if, if I could invite you to be a part of the mission of Franciscan University, that is uh, forming those who are going to go out and transform the world for Christ. I want to invite you to be a part of our education here. Either come in and get your degree on campus or through our online programs. Or come to one of our dynamic summer conferences or travel with us uh, to holy shrines around the world in our pilgrimages. Or go to faithandreason.com to be equipped for the new evangelization. Uh, Father, could you close us with your blessing? Sure, how about a quick blessing through the intercession of Our Lady of Good Counsel and her beloved spouse, St. Joseph. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. My joy. Great. Thanks. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.